This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Jesse. And I'm Grover Gardner. I'm studio director of Blackstone Audio in Ashland, Oregon. And I'm also a longtime audiobook narrator. Oh, fantastic. It's a, wow, it, it's, we just had a hit of Grover Gardner voice. I, I can't <laughs> believe that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's terrific. I save it for, I save it for interviews. All right. I, well, yeah, it wasn't there before the, the, the actual interview started. <laughs> I thought, does this sound sort of like him? But now it's, it's on. It's on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's such a great pleasure to have you here. Um, you've read me uh, many stories. And you've, you're over 700 books now uh, from your website. Is that correct? Is that still an accurate number? Oh, it's probably 750 or more. Oh, my goodness. Point. Oh, my goodness. And some of them should count as more than one. <laughs> yeah, they you know, should. They should. You know, like, uh, you you narrated the Will Durant's um, Story of Civilization. I don't know how many hours that is, but uh, a lot. Well, it was 11,000 11, 11, pages, and I was about 30 hours a book. Uh, there were 11 of them, uh, three, three or 400 hours. It must've been. Wow. That's just incredible. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, well, uh, it took a while. Yeah, it sure did. And, uh, most recently <laughs> I've heard your voice in our house as my wife went through the entire Vorkosigan saga. She said that you are oh. her miles and she says it in a way that makes me jealous. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice to hear. Yes. Um, yeah. No, that's a wonderful series, and that I guess those I started those back in 2005. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we started doing the backlist of those, uh, and gradually got caught up uh, just in time. I think I think we finished off the series just in time for uh, Eleanor's latest installment, or uh, Lois Bujold's latest installment uh, yeah. in this series, right. Cryoburn. Uh, Cryoburn, right? Which was a there was a seven year hiatus there. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, those were a real pleasure to do. She has a wonderful sense of humor, and she writes wonderful characters and wonderful dialogue. I'm not a big uh, well. I probably shouldn't say this, but <laughs> I, I'm not a huge sci-fi fan. Uh, sure, I, I appreciate the genre, but it's not something I turn to that much. And so when they sent me those, I thought, oh. But uh, there, uh, there's so much more <laughs> than uh, than your, you know, uh, usual speculative uh, fiction. She really sure. space opera is, yeah. a, is I, I guess, what we call the yeah, genre, certainly, and they certainly. were enormous, enormous fun. Well, good. So, yeah. So, when, when did you begin? Do you remember the first novel you narrated? <laughs> I do. Oh, what is it? Uh, I actually. Uh, well, I actually started in 1978. I just graduated from college in Florida. I was trying to figure out what to do. I was uh, an actor. I was working in dinner theater and doing local radio programs. And a guy called me and said, I've got a contract with the Library of Congress to record some magazines. Would you like to come in and do some? So I did. So I did... Um, the Tiger Beat, oh. <laughs> uh, we recorded. And wow. I remember one article was about how to win a, you know, what, how would you act on a date with Leif <laughs> Garrett? <laughs> All right. So you made the world yeah. better. Yep. And, well, for someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, I uh, ended up going up to Washington, D.C. I wanted to go to graduate school. And while I was uh, in graduate school for acting, I, you know, trying to make some money, and I was working in a box office at a local theater and stuck in a little cubicle, and I thought there must be a better way than this. And I knew about the talking book program at the Library of Congress, but, you know, they had people like Alexander Scorby and George Gladell and... John Horton and, you know, all these well-known names with the program. And I thought, oh, they'll never 
they'll never let me in. So I put it off and put it off. And finally, I got so sick of my part-time job that I said, well, what can I lose? Mm-hmm. So I went up and I auditioned at their homes. You know, a lot of their stuff they contract out around the country, but they had a uh, <coughs> home studio, uh, home-based studio in Washington. And I went up there and auditioned and, you know, sort of steeled myself. And uh, it turns out they hired me on the spot, which was unusual. It usually was a three- to six-month approval process. Hmm. But uh, I, I had always thought it would be a great idea to read books. I, I love to read, and I just thought it would be a neat job. And So anyway, that was the start. And my first book for them was Displaced Persons, which was a young adult novel about um, a, uh, a group of refugees in Eastern Europe after World War II and hmm. how they, you know, the, how they got moved around and I don't remember too much about it, but I remember uh-huh. the title and the right. basic story. Well, and then it went on from there. And then there was a woman there named Flo Gibson, who sadly just passed away about two weeks ago. Uh, and she started, she was a, had been narrating there for a long time, and she just started, decided to start her own audiobook company. And this was pretty early on before audiobooks were all that commercially viable, you had Brilliance was in business and books on tape and recorded books. And they were selling mostly to the library market and then also renting books um, from their catalogs to consumers. Hmm. But commercial, you know, in terms of audio books in the bookstores, there there was hardly anything. Yeah. Uh, You know, you'd get a two-cassette version of a, you know, a... James right. Patterson novel or something like that, but that you know, high, heavily abridged and read by some movie star. Yeah, Je- Jesse and I it. have both been around since the very beginning. Uh, as far as listeners, you know, uh, two cassette versions of uh, books and you know Walden tapes and and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then we, we, the, our website has been going since about two thousand three. And uh-huh. uh, since two thousand three, I mean, things have changed so much, you know. And for you, it, it oh. had to have been even more vast than we're seeing. Um, I can only imagine. Well, it was pretty, I mean, we, uh, what Flo did was to support her own, she recorded all the classics mm-hmm. herself. And we worked, she had a very fancy house in a fancy neighborhood of Washington, and we would work in the basement. And uh, if she had a cocktail party, we would, we'd, they'd bring down a plate of hors d'oeuvres, you know, for the narrators. It was kind of fun and mm-hmm. very funny. But she was a, she was a terrific lady, uh, but she contracted to books on tape to uh, to support, you know, to bring in money to help oh. get the business started. And they were looking for uh, books on tape had been doing stuff in, you know, with uh, people and uh, they'd been recording people in their own closet, you know, which is the way a lot of audiobook companies started. Mm-hmm. The owner would, you know put up a couple of curtains and put an narrator back there to record. Hmm. So uh, that got me started with books on tape, and then things kind of went from there. And by the mid-'90s, I was on my I was actually doing my own contracting for books on tape. I had three or two or three booths in my little house in Maryland and was uh, churning out books for them and brought a lot of new people into so, yeah, so when you say you had when you say you had two or three booths, does that mean that you, you were bringing other narrators in and recording them as well? Yeah, Barrett Whitener, Ralph Kasham, mm. uh, Michael Kramer, Kate Redding, Kate Fleming, Bernadette Dunn. Uh, wow. Oh, Jonathan Mayrose came uh, in uh, a lot. Yeah, a lot of people. Uh, so, and, you know, we had a big acting community there in D.C., so I just uh, pulled in people oh, that's cool. uh, to do it. And then gradually I got tired of that and threw everybody out. <laughs> uh, my my house was falling apart from people tromping around in it all day. Oh, gotcha. And uh, my, my, now my partner, Tanya Perez, wanted to move in, and she said, I'm not moving in with all these people running around the house day and night. So that was that. And then... Mm-hmm. Uh, I just stayed, got busier and busier through the 90s and into the 2000s. 
2000s. And then in 2007, Blackstone asked me to come out and help run their in-house studio and do their casting and head up their production. So we came out here to Oregon, and that's that. Mm-hmm. That's the whole story. You live in Ashland, right? Yeah. Um, it looks, from what I've seen on the Internet, it looks like a, an amazing little town. Oh, it's beautiful. But it has, Charming. like, a theater community, and it's got a audiobook company, and... And then it's in Oregon. Yeah. it's Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, we have the Shakespeare Theater, which is the big draw. Uh, it's kind of what Ashland is all about. Um, and uh, with Blackstone Audio, and we draw on town. There's also a, there's a college, Southern Oregon University. So we have a, it's an interesting talent pool here, and we actually have a lot of terrific people. Some university professors, some local actors, uh, local playwrights or writers uh, who come in and read, and uh, they're wonderful. It's we also we go ideal, out, we have, actually, or idyllic, well, anyways. Well, it is, um, unless you're like my wife, who uh, prefers the city, um, and then you have sort of a Green Acres thing going. <laughs> Farm life. Farm city life. life, farm life, city <laughs> life. Yeah, that's great. Oh, so, yeah, I'm, but it uh, is it is very beautiful. I promised her that she will get her turn in the big city. You know, at some all point. All right, all right. We'll we'll move to New York for a few years, and I'll stuff myself into a you know tiny apartment somewhere. But we'll enjoy the city life mm-hmm. at some point. So. Right. Yeah. Before the interview, I was trying to think back. You know, when was the first time that I ever heard you? And uh, the title that I came up with was Ringworld by Larry Niven. And what's interesting oh, yeah. about that, yeah, you read uh, under the name Tom Parker. And I know you've also <laughs> read books under the name uh, Alexander Adams. And I was just curious, you know, why, yeah. why the pseudonyms? Well, er, early on, uh, let's see. So there I was working for audiobook contractors, Flo Gibson. And uh, then... But she didn't want to expand her business. She had one, she had a very nice booth, uh, a very professional quality booth and equipment. But she didn't want to add any stuff. I think she was a little worried. She may have been violating some zoning laws uh, in her hoity-toity neighborhood, mm. um, you know, yeah. uh, by running a business out of her home. <laughs> I'm not sure if her neighborhood, you know, Polly Roosevelt, if they would have, you know, appreciated that. So uh, anyway, she didn't want to expand, but Books on Tape wanted us to do more books. So they contacted a couple of us on the side and said, do, will you work at home if we send you a, you know, a cassette deck, a <laughs> microphone? And we said, yeah, but, you know, Chloe's going to be mad about that. And she said, well, they said, well, just change your name. <laughs> just change your name. Uh-huh. And so we said, and after a while, it wasn't that much of a secret. But And then uh, Blackstone, they started up in 85 or 86 and they contacted some of us and said, Oh, could you read for us? And we thought, well, books on tape isn't going to be very happy about that. (laughs) So they said, Oh, just change your name. (laughs) Wow. That's interesting. So that was how it started. And of course, no, you know, nobody would offer us an exclusive contract. Uh Uh, They didn't want to pay for that. But of course, if you, you know, if you said, oh, I was thinking about recording for so-and-so, oh, well, you know, there are rivals. We don't, oh, that's, oh, we're not happy about that. Uh, but, you know, we needed more work, and they couldn't really say anything, um, you know, uh, that. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's how that came about. Yeah, that's just interesting. Yeah. Um, I know you did uh, Star Wars titles under Alexander Adams, mm-hmm. and they were terrific. I listened to most of those back then as well. I did. Mm-hmm. You know, they uh, those were that series was started by Tony Heald. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Yeah. And then he stopped doing them. He said he didn't want to do any more, and I guess he got busy with television and other stuff. So, I took over from him, and then I did about 10 or 12 of them, I think. And then <clears throat> I don't know what happened. They just I guess they decided they decided on another change, and then Jonathan Davis took over and mm-hmm. did yep. uh, 
the young the young Jedi series, but those were wild. Um, yeah, how how were those? I mean, those are so uh, yeah. There's so much sound effects and things in there. How was that different from a normal narration, or or was it any different for you? Oh no, it was very different because it was really you you. First of all, they're very. They, I'd always done unabridged books, and these were abridged, very short. Mm-hmm. You know, only two, three three hour programs. Yeah, three hours, right? And um, I would. Uh, Go go in and they, they had the script would have the the uh, the the sound bed the sound effects on the side it would say you know sounds of laser gun or you know spaceship blasting off and things like that and you had to learn to they didn't have the sound bed prepared so you couldn't hear it. But they would explain to you, well, okay, now we're going to start to hear this, you know, low whine, and then the, you know, the spaceship's engine's going to gear up, and then wow, here, you know, <laughs> so you've got to talk over that, and you, so you'd have to hear in your head, you know, if there was a lot of psh, 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 laser fire going on, you'd say suddenly they came across the room, and they, you know, the door flung open, stop. <laughs> so you had to be aware that you were you were talking on top of all of this stuff. Um, and so you had to adjust to that. And also because they were so abridged, there were big jumps in the story. So you'd, you'd end a scene with a couple of characters and then without a whole lot of explanation, you'd kind of jump to a whole other part of the story. And I said to the producer one day, um, you know, these are hard abridgments. And he said, what do you mean? They should, they, I thought they were easier. They're shorter. And I said, no, they're harder because you don't have, you don't have all that information to carry you from one part of the story to the other. You, you as the, as the narrator, you have to make sense of all these sudden jumps from one place to another. Hmm. And you have to really energize the story in a way that you don't with an unabridged book. And he said, oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never so thought of it that they way. Were, yeah, we would bang those out in two days, one day or two days. And I made some very good money for those. But then that was just at the point, I guess it was around 2000, when the audiobook companies were realizing that, at least the big publishers were realizing that they were paying a lot more for these things than they really should have. So mm-hmm. they started <laughs> to cut the budgets down. Uh, and do that, and of course now everybody's, you know, looking for the, the cheapest way possible to get them done. But I, I, I'm always impressed that they have, throughout the two decades, I guess, that commercial audiobooks have really been viable. Um, I'm impressed that they have they they've kept the quality up. Um, they've not. Uh, They've not dumbed them down. I mean, they're still, it's a very, very strong product. I hope yeah. that continues. And I hope in the age of download and with these mega companies who shall remain nameless, <laughs> getting into the, you know, churning out, you know, thousands and thousands of titles, um, I, I keep my fingers crossed that they don't get to the point where people turn away from them because they're you know, not very well done. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to read a mediocre book. I mean, you can say, well, oh, let's skip that part and, you know, oh. get, let's see what happens at the end, you know. And that's fine. It's entertainment. But you, you as a reader have a choice to kind of, you know, skim along or do whatever you want to do. But when it's an audio book, you, you've got to listen to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yep. if, it's, if it's not well done, you, you're stuck. You either got to grit your teeth or turn it off and go on to the next and move so on, yeah. I, I hope that I hope it I hope they uh I hope the quality stays good in this. Well I know theater. I know that at Blackstone it sure is. Um mm-hmm. we were just talking before and you know you guys have hit some out of the park you you know lately even uh you know how how does a book get matched to a narrator? You know, like, how does a book land in your lap and say, you know, someone wants you to do this? Well, the acquisitions department, they buy the books. Mm-hmm. And then, and we, we, 
I communicate with the acquisitions people. If it's something very unusual, they'll call me and say, do you think we can do this? You know, if it's mm-hmm. set in a foreign country or it requires a certain narrator, sometimes they'll say, well, here's a book set in uh, New Zealand and uh, with, you know, an aboriginal narrator. And I'll say, well, yeah, you know... <laughs> Hmm. I, I don't have too many of those, <laughs> so you might want you might want to think about that. Um, but we communicate, and they tell me what's coming up, and then they purchase the book. So this is your job as studio it, director. You're you're kind of making those decisions, or or how does that work? Well, I I I help with the acquisitions. Okay, everybody does mm-hmm. at, at Blackstone. We all contribute. You know, the sales department says, "Well, I think that'll sell pretty well," or "I'm not too sure that will sell," but Anyway, we've got two uh, people who do the acquisitions, and they buy the books, and then it ends up on my desk, and I have to take a look at it, and uh, it's a balance. Uh, you want <laughs> you want someone who's experienced uh, and who is reliable, and we have a lot of those. We have a large pool, not just people in Ashland, but we work with people in Los Angeles and New York, and we've got... Uh, you know, home narrators who are scattered all over the country, uh, people who work in their own studios. And uh, you take a look at it, and you want to balance between the tried and true and something that's kind of fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to always cast the same person doing exactly the same kind of book. That can get a little dull for the listener, and it gets a little dull for the narrator. So I always think, well, now who's... Who would be dead? Who would be really great at this? But also, just a little. I, I like to just. I like to push against the book just a little bit. So I might choose a narrator that you wouldn't normally think of for that kind of thing, but who I just have a feeling that they'll bring a little something extra to it. So I, I kind of like to push. I like to push the narrators in terms of casting, push them a little bit outside their comfort zones every once in a while so that they kind of get a fresh, uh, you know, look at things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, mainly it's a process. You, you read the book, and you, you try to hear the voice in your head. Mm-hmm. You try to hear how the book should sound. And then you try to find the person who's closest to that, who you have a relationship with, and who, you know, will do, you know, a reliable, solid job on it. So um, um, do you spend all and, day long reading these books? <laughs> you must read a lot. A lot that you don't even well, narrate, right? Oh, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. we do anywhere from 25 to 30 or more new titles a month. Uh-huh. We release a lot of our backlist, too, every month. But um, we're still in the process of digitizing a lot of our older books. But, yeah, I mean, you read, well, suffice it to say, I can't read them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so depending on the book, um, you know, if it's a history book about World War II, well, there's not too much new in there. So I take a look at the style and how much research is involved and, you know, and I try to get a sense of the author's approach to the material and how it might differ from another historian's approach to the same material. And, you know, if it's the civil war or this, and then, um, in terms of nonfiction, I often will, um, uh, I, I know the narrators who are interested in certain topics like the Civil War or science, physics, you know, things like that. And, um, you know, I try to hand that to them because I know that they're going to invest in it. They're going to have an interest in it. Hmm, that's it's, interesting. It's not, you know, you don't want somebody to read a book that they're not particularly interested in. Sure. Uh, sure. That's very important. Um, Seems to me because that... Because I know that... You're you're very yeah, interested in uh, Ross McDonald because I think you've read every single one of uh, the Lou Archer series, haven't you? Oh, I love those. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that stuff, uh, and I love. Uh, we've got a Swedish mystery coming up, um, the Hypnotist, in June, and I love those things. I can't wait to do that. Um, is that the Wallander stuff? No, this is a new one. That's uh, coming out. It's been very hot in uh, in in Sweden, and it's they're hoping that it's uh, the new girl, girl with dragon the tattoo. dragon tattoo, yeah. right? 
Um, but then when I get a fiction book, particularly, uh, sometimes you can take a look at something and say, okay, well, this is part of a certain genre. It's a romance or it's this or that. And it's kind of predictable. It's, you know, not, not too difficult to guess. And other times I look at something and I start, you know, on the first page and I think, well, I don't, I don't have any idea where this is going. <laughs> so I have to, you know, I really have to take a close look at it. Uh, especially if it's literary fiction, um, those books tend to fall. They they don't fit into you know the genres, the typical genres, uh, and they're kind of works that have a unique quality to them. So you have to kind of sit and think about it for a while. And some books, uh, you know, I will sit on and stare at for you know a week. I'll keep coming back to it and look at it some more and say, well, who, who would do this? What is this? And then you got to look up the author. You got to see what their, uh, you know, what the author's thing is, what, uh, what <laughs> their approach is and what their, um, to try. And so sometimes it's hard. Yeah, one really one to, of the recent uh, ones that I love so much to. was, um, the Reapers are the angels, um, by Alden. Oh Bell. yeah. Yeah. Read by Ty Simmons. Mm-hmm. Um, Yes. Yeah, that was terrific. Perfect match. You know, every, every yeah. Um, yep. She had she had done some young adult stuff for us, and she's someone here in Ashland. You know, she's an actress here, and she'd done some young adult things, and she's got a very very uh, particular quality to her approach and her read. And um, I, I I just started listening to that. I started looking at it, and I just kind of heard her. Uh, heard her doing that. She's very good with. She has a very grounded approach and very strong with um, with literary language. Uh, and it it just struck me that she would be just the right person for that. Well, yeah, that was so, good. It was terrific. So once you well, I you know, I, I, you know, I we had some people from the company over one night for dinner, and we had a. Tony and I had a stack of manila envelopes on the dining room buffet, and one of the people from Blackstone said, what, what are all those? And I said, those are books. Those are scripts. And she said, you, you work at home? <laughs> and I said, yeah, when am I going to read all these things? Now I have an, now I have an iPad. So when uh, a publisher emails me a script, uh, I don't have to print it out and drag home big stacks of stuff. I just take a look at it, uh, read it on the iPad. Mm-hmm. And that's been very convenient. Mm. So you were going to say... Yeah, I'm just, I was going to say, you know, as far as you personally, um, when a book does land, you know, and they, they, the decision's been made that you're going to do it, um, what's the process from that point? Um, I, I assume you read it. Are you, do you pour over the text? Do you, you know, how much time do you spend with it before going into the booth? Well, I read it. Uh, I look look at the research. Um, I see what's needed. We have, if it's very complicated, we actually have a professional researcher uh, who maintains a database for us, a web-based database of uh, foreign names and places. Oh, no kidding. Well, that's interesting. In terms, and uh, I will, if it's very tough, I will send it to uh, our researcher. George Weisberg, and uh, he will, uh, you know, vet it and put up a pronunciation guide on the on the web for us on our uh, pronouncer database. Hmm. Um, and, and I, uh, gee, I don't know. I mean, I uh, after after seven hundred fifty books, <laughs> you don't worry about it too much. I mean, sure. I just, you know, for me, if I'm casting myself at Blackstone. Um, I, it's a question of, a book will come through, I'll look at it and I'll say, oh, I'm doing this. <laughs> I mean, it just, you know, it just, it's just something that grabs me personally. Um, sometimes they've suggested things. Um, I, they wanted me to do, uh, the tin drum. And I said, uh, I don't, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Post-war German 
novel. I, I, I don't know. I, I, just, I said, you know, I don't really connect with this. I don't, and they kept saying, oh, come on, you can read anything. And I said, no, 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 <laughs> let's, let's stop right there because I can't uh, read everything and I'm not right for everything. Um, I remember they, uh, we were redoing our old version of Madame Bovary. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, you you could do this. And I said, oh, okay, let me take a look at it. And I read it. And, and then I got in the studio and I started recording. No, no, no. I am so wrong for this. Uh, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And it's not that I don't understand the book. I understand the book. But personally, in terms of my being the... The, the right voice, the right approach for that book. I just said, I don't know, this doesn't work. And we ended up having Simon Vance do it. But, uh, it's, you know, if, if I see a book and I, and I latch onto it and I know I want to do it, well, that's about 80% of the work, you know, right there. Mm-hmm. You did a couple of uh, Philip K. Dick uh, titles, and then uh, it sort of went off to a bunch of other people for Blackstone. You did uh, Galactic Pot Healer, and um, what's the other one? Uh, the one set on Mars uh, with a schizophrenic boy and uh, aliens. And oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Martin Time Slip, Martian Time Slip. That's yes. Um, what what, I don't, I what don't was get, that like? I don't get him. I don't yeah. get him. Philip K. Dick is, is not. It, it came across pretty well. I was like going, "Wow, this is I, this is really interesting." Um, but yeah, it's it's not. Uh, I, I expect those to be pretty hard. I didn't. I remember when I recorded those. That was before I came to Blackstone when I was still in Maryland. I didn't understand them. I, I didn't, and, and uh, I was amazed actually when they were. Uh, just it was just two years ago that they went back and were remastering that recording, and I listened to it. I think they wanted to do some fixes for it. There were a couple things in there that could you know could have been patched up. So uh, I was listening to it and I said, "Well, you know that sounds pretty good." Hmm. Given the fact that I really did not, I, I understand his writing style, and I think that was the saving grace was that I felt comfortable with his style. But in terms of who he was and what he was, you know, what he was getting at, I wasn't at all clear. I think it was just, uh, it was a happy combination. I think it sounds good, but I get, then when we started doing more of them, um, at that point I said, I, I think there are people who have a better clue as to what, you know, Tom Weiner and some other people who, who really liked that stuff. You know, yeah, really Tom Weiner does a ton of day. science fiction for you. Hmm. Yes, he does. And uh, uh, he likes it. He loves science fiction. You know, what did I bring him the other day? Something, I think it was a Paul Anderson or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're actually talking about doing that as a uh, uh, podcast discussion. It's called Mind Wave, I think. Brainwave. Was that it? Brainwave. Brainwave. Oh, yeah. no. I kn- no, I know what it was. It was a Robert Sheckley. Oh. oh, great. Yeah. And Checkley he, I, I, handed, I handed this to Tom, and he said, this was the first science fiction book I ever bought when I was a kid. You know, I mean, he was so excited. He said, oh, I can't wait to do this. Well, see, that's, that's what you want as a producer. That's what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want somebody who says, oh, I can't, I can't wait to do this book. I love this guy. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, Tom loves science fiction. He's got that great. He's got. He he has a huge range of character voices, which is terrific because you know you've got aliens and you know galactic population of uh, people, and uh, it's it it demands you know a facility with doing all kinds of strange voices and characterizations. So he's mm-hmm. he's very good at that. He enjoys that. Uh, has there been a series that, you know, you've, uh, like, you, you worked for Books on Tape for a long time, and um, now Books on Tape seems to have dwindled into a company that only exists on paper or on the internet or something now. Um, oh. Did you ever work for recorded books? <laughs> no. We said, Dave, Dave, we actually, with when I was working with Flo Gibson, 
she wanted a contract with recorded books and books on tape. And of course, recorded books, both the companies were very proprietary at that point. And recorded books said, well, we kind of have a problem with that. We really use our own narrators. And we did a couple of things with them. They just were not comfortable outsourcing their stuff. You know, they had set up a very sophisticated studio in New York. Uh, they had a pool of people there. And, you know, recorded books for years wouldn't let their narrators work for other companies. Um, uh, but George really Vidal was, sort of was only, only there, I think. Yeah. And still, uh, except for very few um, instances, he is he's the property of... And he has you know, an arrangement with them <coughs> for exclusivity. Um, that's changed now that uh, they know that they can't... Um, you know, that they've got to let people get out there. It's a studio contract um, sort of thing back in the, the 30s. Right. Uh, right, exactly. It was that, yeah, it was that kind of thing. So we're in the 70s um, now, I guess, uh, with the, all the independents or <laughs> something like that. I don't know. Right. Yeah, all yeah, we're, getting, we're catching up. Um, but the, so it just didn't work out. And, you know, they had their own thing, and I was sort of kind of associated with books on tape and recorded books of their people. And, you know, it just never, you know, it just never happened. Um, but that's fine. But the book, books on tape is actually, you know, they are, uh, I'm not sure what's going on with their library presence, but uh, to a large extent, what that studio is now is a production arm for Random House. Right. And they do a lot of listening library titles out there. They do a lot of their, you know, it used to be that uh, you had two, for for very popular titles, you had two versions. Yeah, the unabridged commercial and the version. version. Right. And they were for two separate markets. The unabridged was for the library market, and the abridged was for the uh, the, the retail market. So they could keep the price down and keep the packaging reasonable. But that's now with digital and, uh, and CDs, that's completely changed. Uh, very rarely do you see uh, an abridged version and an unabridged version. Um, uh, some companies still do it. Random House still does for certain titles. I think Brilliance still does some abridged versions of their things. But uh, now it's all, you just do one version of the book. And I know that Random House has shifted uh, a lot of their production out to books on tape. And of course, you know, they own the studio. They've got a big talent pool out there, so it's kind of cost-effective for them. Um, but they still do production in New York as well. But uh, They're not producing any science fiction. And, and the mystery stuff that I've been looking at there, you know, it's not stuff mm -hmm. I know, not people I've read. So it feels to no, me and they, like they're yeah, sort of not they don't do an independent company anymore. Oh no, they're not. No, not not at all. They're a, they're a production arm for, um, you know, and and of course they have the the library distribution system, which is in place, which allows them to funnel their stuff into the libraries. But mm -hmm. um, uh, no, it's no, it's not the same. And they don't do, you know, goodness, we did, you know, like the Will Durants, and they did the Civil War, the Shelby Foot, and. And every uh, Donald Westlake book yeah. they could get their hands on, which I I, I was enamored with, right? That was uh, Michael Kramer, and um, mm -hmm. he did two different kinds of voices. He did one for, for the Richard Stark books and one for the Dortmunder comedic ones. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Amazing stuff. But I, I, I wanted to go back to talk about your... just. It, it seems to me the Ross MacDonald is the only series that has been consistent on Blackstone... You all the way through. It's I, I was reading on your blog. You you had read the uh, biography of uh, Ross McDonald, yeah, or about uh, yeah biography about Ross McDonald. I guess it's not an autobiography. And uh, he's he's got a you know the books are quite different from regular mystery PI fiction in that they're a lot more I don't know uh, they're sort of telling the same story over and over again, but they're also very um, uh, philosophical. Well, he, uh, he 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 worked out his own personal issues <laughs> in the books. 
I mean, he was a very complicated person. Um, he was not, I think, as I said in my blog post, it's not, it's not every uh, uh, detective fiction writer who you'd want to devote a whole biography to. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, I mean, they turn the stuff out. It's not that big a deal. Um, but he and Raymond Chandler were both kind of complex uh, people. Uh, and he had a relationship with his wife, Margaret Miller, who was also a mystery writer, and some people think was better than him. She was a better writer. I think that's pretty much acknowledged. Uh, and she had her heyday, but he, uh, in the 50s and 60s, but then he was able to continue on uh, beyond that into the 70s. Um, but, you know, he was, a, he was an unusual person and uh, took the psychological detective genre kind of really the, the, the code, uh, the, um, you know, the code of ethics, the code of behavior, the, uh, the detective who uh, doesn't really solve the mystery. It's not about clues, and it's not about finding, oh, look, this gun has fingerprints on yeah. it, you know. None of that. There's no forensics. None whatsoever in McDonald. It's all his hunches, his feelings. It's all talk. He goes to these people and he says, so tell me about your son, Mrs. Witcherly, or tell me about, you know. And it's all psychology. He figures out the case based on his exploration of the psyches of the uh, part of the people involved. Um, so, you know, there's, there's nothing about, oh, we found a blood stain on the floor, or we, you know, checked the DNA. None of that. No. It's all about his instincts, his, his sense of people. And, what li- and all, it's always about what's under the surface. And he's constantly digging underneath the surface. And a lot of that is based on his own... Uh, his sense of his own human failings and uh, his own uh, foibles. And he's just able to kind of ferret out the secrets underneath the, the surface. Uh, and if you notice, they're all about families. Mm-hmm. They all involve families and family uh, disputes and, and family secrets. And, of course, he had uh, a lot of difficult family issues in his life. So, uh, you know, his daughter got involved with drugs and alcohol and eventually committed suicide. And so you have this constant theme of the, the prodigal son or the wayward daughter uh, or the missing, the missing teenager, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so he's, he's, always, looking, he's always looking for that, that mystery person, that mystery member of the family who uh, is, you know, is a, is a mystery to everybody else. And so they're very interesting, and they're they're very engaging. And his imagery is beautiful. Uh, the writing is is wonderful. Um, but I always love to, you know, when people say, "What do you like about them?" There's always in in every book, there's always a conversation. There's always sort of a, you know, when it gets down, when he finally ferrets out the secret and he confronts the person. There's always this wonderful scene where people you know, lay, lay their souls bare. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it's always very gratifying to get to that point in his books when people, you know, when somebody explains everything that's going on, when, it, when we finally, you know, the secret is brought out. And um, he always handles that so well, so beautifully. And it's just they're a pleasure to read. You know, I, I haven't I haven't read uh, Ross McDonald myself. So, uh, do either of you or both of you have a title suggestion? If I was to pick one up, the most recent one's The Witcherly Woman. That's the one I'm listening to. Uh, that hadn't been released before, had it? No, it's brand. No. There's actually three more, two maybe two more in the series, and his last two. And I don't know why we haven't gotten them. But uh, let's see. Well. So a first-timer, what would I recommend? I started with The Chill. I think that was the one I started with. and um, It was kind of an accident. I, I 
think I was looking for John D. McDonald, and I got Ross McDonald. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, I, I think the moving target is awfully good. And that was actually the first one. Yep. In 49, that was the first uh, Lou Archer book. And it's awfully good. I think uh, the, the Witcherly Woman is good. I think, the, I like the Galton case. Oh, no, no, no. Let's see. The Galton case, Black Money. Black Money, that's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I, 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 the Galton case is very good. If you want, it's a little, it's a little less uh, believable plot wise than some of his other things. Uh, there's kind of a little. Um, but, but, and some of the characters are a little more broadly done, uh, but I would start with the Galton case. All right. Uh, I think, I think that's awfully good. Great. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Um, you, know, you just mentioned something, oh, John D. McDonald. Mm-hmm. Well, now there's something, you know, everybody's, I know several publishers who've tried to get a hold of the Travis McGee yeah. things, but. I, I got not. them on two cassette back in a million years ago with uh, uh, Darren McGavin. Yeah, Darren McGavin. Darren, Peter. Yeah, and those are immensely um, popular. But on two cassette, you're not really getting the book. You're only getting a sle- section of it, a selection. He was he was more prolific than McDonald than Ross McDonald, mm-hmm. and I don't know that he was. Well, I don't know. I I, I don't know that they have the. Queer psychological depth oh. that the Ross McDonalds do at all, but um, they are popular. I think Random House is sitting on them, <laughs> and I know that because I know people who've tried to get them. And they said, "No, no, we're not, we're not letting those go right now." Um, I think they're probably waiting for the right time and place. You know, it might be a film or a television series or a, a revival of the whole Travis McGee thing. Um, I know that they, they're not going to let them out piecemeal. You know, if they do them, they're going to, you know, put the whole series out. So I don't know, but those are not available right now and nobody can get a hold of them. I, I, Uh, I I was actually looking for it about 15 years ago, but, um, I've, I've been hoping that somebody was going to do them since then, just because what I heard on the, the two cassettes was pretty good. And I liked, I liked the idea that. It is an ongoing series, and he he had the little he had fun with the titles, and it was yeah it was a a cool uh, you know McDon- there's Ross McDonald and there's uh, Don- John D McDonald and there was a couple more uh, like that. I was really into mystery and and um, I think I think writing oh. in the genres can be really really useful in that it makes the stories uh, even when they're talking about sort of other issues quite interesting. What, what's your favorite genre to read in? Is it history? No. It, yeah. Biography, I, sort of? I, I, yes, I enjoy that. Uh, I did uh, the last big thing. I, I did a lot of biographies. I did for Blackstone and books on tape. I did MacArthur. Um, I did the Kennedys. I did um, what's uh, those David Horowitz and Peter Collier, Peter Collier books, uh, Rose Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt. I've done a lot of biography. I enjoy that. I did an Andrew Carnegie biography for Gildan Media a couple of years ago that is on Audible. That was wonderful. And then, I mean, that's good old fashioned, you know, just learning just about an interesting person. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's hard to beat. Personally, I like mystery. I mean, the right kind of mystery. Um, I, I'm not right for a lot of uh, these things, but I, I, love, I love a good, thoughtful mystery. Uh, I tremendously enjoyed, you know, we had done, Blackstone, had, by the time I got there, they had pretty much done all of the Henning Mankells. And of course, that was a bit of a risk because he wasn't that big then. People didn't, you know... I mean, everybody talks about him now, but it was it's really only because of the girl with the dragon tattoo mm-hmm. and the uh, the BBC series with, is it Kenneth Branagh? Yeah. Who plays uh, Kurt Wallander. Yeah. 
And it's only because of that that those books have taken off. And now nobody can get enough Swedish mysteries. But we <laughs> still sat around for years not doing a whole lot, and it was our acquisitions person, Hala Williams, who had a lot of faith in those books. Unfortunately, those were mostly already done by the time I got there, but we did get a new one, which was not part of the Wallander series, but it was a spinoff. Um, and uh, I, I snagged that one for myself, and uh, I enjoyed that one very much. And you can ask me the title, and I, I'm, <laughs> I'm completely blanking on it right now. Uh, but it was one of his most recent uh, books. I, I, I would have to grab my iPad and do a quick look up. No, no, you don't need to do that. We'll look it up for you. But um, El- Elmore Leonard is, I think, I, I, I must have heard five or six Elmore Leonards while I was painting. I was painting, and I'd, I'd say, okay, I'll put on another Elmore Leonard, and, and then you'd tell me another story um, using a, a lot of dialogue and very little else, right? Um, how are those? I love those. Yeah. I love doing those. I did, you know, now this was 10 years ago or more. And at that point, the, uh, a lot of very popular books, you, you did not get an exclusive contract for them. They farmed them out to different publishers. So for instance, the, uh, the, uh, Aubrey Maturin series, Patrick O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Those were done by two or three different companies. Uh, Bernard Cornwell. There are two or three different versions of his, some of his series out there. Uh, the Elmore Leonard's were done by both recorded books and books on tape. And I remember when books on tape sent me a whole box full of Elmore Leonard's, you know, the backlist mm-hmm. titles. And there were 10 or 12 of them. And I was thought, oh, this is great. And I, I loved them. I loved doing them. And... Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed them. Maximum Bob is probably my favorite, uh, but uh, I don't. I'm not sure everybody thought that I was the right voice for those. Um, maybe I was a little too not hip enough sounding, or you weren't in a Quentin Tarantino of, movie at the time. Maybe that was the problem. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the problem. I kind of. Uh, I, I kind of like the fact that you had sort of this slightly square guy, uh, you know, um, doing all these crazy characters. Um, That's a, it sounded great to me. It, it, it was I, I utterly consumable. I and and yeah. it's just I the dialogue is meant to be read aloud, you know? You, you want to pick yeah. it up and, and start reading it to people because it is such great dialogue. I enjoyed them. Uh, they're all gone except for Harper has just put them out again. And uh, they went back and they bought some of the, they picked up some of the older recordings from recorded books and from books on tape. And I think I've got one. They picked up one of mine. I yeah, Pronto is out right now. Uh, you posted about that okay. in November. Um, and that's, that's right. part of a two-book series or something like that. Um, oh, it says because the the TV show Justified is is using that character. I guess is why they wanted That's to it. release it. That's it. Uh, exactly. What's the other one? It's set in Italy, I think. Uh, oh no, Pronto set in Italy. The other one is set right in Cal- uh, Florida or whatever. Um, yeah, right. it's it's just a kind of a weird thing. You mix in Italian and uh, I don't know Southern Sheriff and <laughs> not quite Southern <laughs> Sheriff, but it's a a fun mix and I, I yeah. think that sort of. You know, you can see the way Elmer writes them. Uh, Elmer Leonard writes them is kind of the way they they appear in the end. They he just sort of takes two sort of concepts, throws them together, and writes a book. But it right. comes out sounding great. Now let's not forget the Inspector Montalbano series. I don't think I read any of those. Oh well, all right. Well, you need to. Uh, these are by Andrea Camilleri. Oops, wait a minute. I just stepped into a noisy kitchen here. I'll, I'll exit. Um, those are by Andrea Camilleri, mm-hmm. and uh, the main character is this Inspector Montalbano, this uh, Italian police detective. They're enormously entertaining, 
and uh, you might want to give those a listen. They don't have the psychological depth of the Ross McDonald's. Uh, they're not particularly complicated, but they're very colorful, lots of local color, lots of talk about the food. He's always hungry and <laughs> always starving and always taking a break. He said, well, I could go, you know, I've got a clue here. I've got an idea. I could pursue it, or I could stop and have lunch. <laughs> and he usually stops and has lunch, so he can think about things for a while. Um, oh, yeah, I'm looking at him here. It looks, this looks really good. And there's uh, available in the App Store. Yeah. It must be a, a pretty new release. Oh, no, 2006. Yeah. So you've been doing these for a while. Yeah, they go back. Yeah. They, um, now, there's, they're the basis for a hugely popular television series in Italy. Oh. Uh, which you can watch snippets of on the web, um, on YouTube. Uh, if you look up Inspector Montalbano, you can uh, see some snips from the TV series. And um, there's a very popular Italian actor who plays the uh, plays the inspector. But those are tremendous fun. Now they're very they're the plots are kind of insignificant. It's all about characterization. Uh, he, he, you know, there's a recurring cast of characters who populate the police station there in uh, Vigada, and they're in, they're tremendously fun. If you like a little bit more of a lighthearted thing with a little little local color, uh, yeah, they sound uh, like right up my alley here. Yeah, they're very fun. There was another series that I loved doing years ago. Was the, were the uh, Toby Peters series? By Stephen, hmm. uh, he wrote another series. Of, yes, he wrote another series about a uh, um, a Pittsburgh cop. But those were Hollywood based, and they they were very light, very silly. Yeah, the Lieberman but, you know, books, I think, is the ones that I heard. I think there was a right. bunch of Lieberman books. Right, exactly. That's it. Um, and. Uh, those were great fun, but I think they're all, they've all been, the rights have expired on most of them. They've fallen out of the Blackstone catalog. But, you know, you would have a, uh, you know, he'd be hired by Groucho Marx or W.C. Yeah. Fields, you know, to try to. So, and then, so there was a challenge there because you had to do the celebrity. <laughs> I mean, you know, you so I had, would have to go and listen and, and, you know, learn how to imitate the, the, the main character celebrity who was involved in the mystery. And those were, those were a lot of fun. Uh, very crazy. So I I was always um, curious as a narrator, how do you, um, if you've got a cast of characters, what's the technique that you use to keep them straight in your head so that, you know, well, when this guy's talking, I need to, to do this to my voice or, you know, in a, in a, in a book of any significant length. You visualize them. Okay. Yeah, you have to have a firm visual image. Uh, And in fact, this is when I coach and train narrators. This is a very difficult issue for some people to understand. They say, well, now, how should I change my voice for this? Or how should I do women? Should they be higher? Or, you know... Should I whisper? What should I do? And I, you have to really hammer it into people that you don't, you don't, that's the wrong way to think about it. You have to visualize that character in your head and then you just have to let your voice follow that visualization. And uh, you, you have to get, you have to understand that where that character is coming from in terms of the way they talk, the way they, you know, handle people, the way they deal with other people. Um, you know, if it's a bully, then it's someone who's, you know, got the psychology of a bully. Uh, if it's a frail, you know, abused woman, you've got to kind of get the psychology of a frail, abused woman. Um, you, and you, there's a lot of subtext involved. You have to understand, you know, people never say what they really saying what they mean to say. They always, uh, particularly in mysteries, they're always, you know, skirting around the real issues. Um, but you, you have to have a firm visual image of the character in your head, and then it's fine. You're not going to get confused. But I'm always amazed that uh, when, uh, you know, a narrator will say, well, I need... Um, 
you know, I keep, uh, they, they'll record a little bit of the voice on their iPhone or something and then have that handy so they remember, uh, you know. But for instance, if you listen to the Inspector Montalbano things, I mean, I've done eight or nine or ten of those now, and the characters keep coming back and people's, you know, it'll be a few months between them or a year and someone else, or the Vorkosigan thing, somebody will say, well, do you want me to send you the, the other, the last book you did so you can remember the characters? And I think, well, how could I forget? Mm. Well, yeah. because I live those books. I mean, <laughs> and I've got all those people in my head. Well, how, how, how could I forget what, what Alice Vorkosigan sounds like? <laughs> or, or, you know, mm. uh, yeah. uh, Miles, Miles or... Right. His father or his mother? How how could I forget how they sound? Because even from the very first one, I developed a very clear picture in my head of what they look like, and that determines how they sound for me. Yeah, um, it's a very organic process. Mm-hmm. So you know, and, but I, you know, some narrators, it's I, I guess I don't know, and I'm, I guess it works for them. But they'll say, "Well, I remember that she was sort of a little high with a sort of a." A rasp in her voice and a thing, and I just think, well, well, I'm, I'm glad you remember that, but that that's that's unimportant to me, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't. So this, yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. How you do? I got one one more for you before before we let you go. Um, I got to ask you about Fools Die. That's that's probably the my favorite book that I found by accident. I, I'm not a big Mario Puzo fan. Other, you know, I've seen the movies, and and then I found this book. It was actually not. I didn't buy it through books on tape. I, I found it in a used bookstore, like a thrift store, that was marked uh, five bucks. And I thought, oh, I'll get it for five bucks. And I was like, oh my god, this is the greatest book ever! <laughs> what did you think of um, Fools Die? That was the it's Mario book. Yeah, it, it yeah. Just starts so terrifically. It's it's an epic. Oh yeah. Let me tell you a story, says the narrator. And you're not even sure who, you know, who is this? I'm the um, master of magic. It's a wonderful book. Yeah. Yeah. The wonderful book. A sprawling um, epic. Yeah. It's, I enjoyed it tremendously. Now, we just bought that. We just redid that. Oh, really? Yeah. Did and you do the narration? With, no, I didn't. And I can't remember why. I think maybe I was very busy. Uh, at the time, and I actually had asked Christopher Tabori, uh, the actor in Los Angeles, to do it, and uh, I, li- I like the way he did it. It's he's got an unusual approach, but I I think it worked. Not everybody's uh, convinced, but I-, I think it came out very well. But uh, we've we've redone that. Yeah, there it is. Part of me wishes I'd redone it, but. You know, when I went back and I looked at it, I recorded. I've still got my copy. (laughs) Well, there you go. Um, I think when I looked at it, I thought, I, I can't, I can't do it again. I think that was my main thought. Was like, I can't recreate what I did before, and so I just thought that rather than struggle to do that, that I I just would have somebody else do it. Now, I know you want to ask we ask what my favorite book is. Yes. Mm-hmm. before we go yeah. and that is a book that if you can listen to it and get through it you get a prize <laughs> because it's probably one of the most difficult books to listen to that you'll ever that you'll ever purchase or you know or download uh, and that is The Kindly Ones by Jonathan Littell and uh, I consider it my my masterwork and it's a grueling, uh, extremely difficult, but it's a thousand-page novel. Uh, it's a fictionalized memoir of a mid-level Nazi bureaucrat. Hmm. And it's grueling in detail, and uh, it goes to places that most people really don't want to go when they're listening to an audio book. <laughs> uh, the guy's got uh, some serious sexual issues. Uh, he's, uh, we've learned throughout the course of the book that he's kind of descending into this, uh, uh, psych- psychological fugue, um, 
that to the point where we're not sure what's reality and what isn't. Um, but it's uh, an enormously well-researched book. It's rich in the details of the bureaucracy, the the the, bu- the bureaucracy of the Holocaust, mm-hmm. and it's it's a first-person narrative. It's it's this strange, extraordinary, fascinating man. But it's um, it's very difficult. Yeah, some and people are saying people, flawed, uh, but worth it. That's the, the yeah. You know, the reviews are you know it's it's a difficult book, but worth reading. So uh, yeah, I'm going to check this out. It's from Harper Audio. Um, not available on Audible yet, but um, oh, that was a co no, that was a co publication. That's right. Yeah. We have it in for library, but for download, you can get it from uh, from Harper on Audible. Um, but that uh, that's it's a, I, it, so it's available through Blackstone as well. Yeah, I'm looking at it yeah, on the Blackstone in the, side in the library. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. In a, yeah, in a library edition. So either one, I, I you know MP3. Yeah, there's an MP3 edition as well. Good, fantastic, okay. yeah, oh, great. Well, thank you very, very much for joining us today. That was uh, oh, excellent. You're welcome. Really, really appreciate, appreciate it. it. A pleasure. Mm-hmm. You had great questions, and uh, it was a real pleasure to to talk with you guys. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.